Praise God. Good morning, everybody. You want to turn to, to, to Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. We'll continue our series we've been doing on the power, the power to change. This is week number 7 or 8 in this series. I can't remember exactly which. And we've been looking at the fact that Scripture says, prophecy says, God says that He will give each of us the ability to both change personally individually, and then the strength and the gifts and the ability to change our families, our communities, Glasgow and the world. But how are we going to get there? But before we actually turn to our notes, just look up a moment. As Pentecostals, we can get a little bit confused in terms of warfare, and it doesn't do us any favors. The Bible says that you have a fight to fight, the good fight, a fight, a war on your hands. And it says to you that that war takes place on three fronts. What are they? One, two, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? But the trouble with Pentecostals is very often they say that the war we fight is against the, the devil, the devil, and the devil. Right? And we get hijacked somewhere along the way. We lose what's the, the length and breadth of what Scripture says. And we need to listen to people like Derek Prince, who I've mentioned many times over the last few weeks. Derek Prince is probably one of the most recognized experts in healing and deliverance who has lived in modern times. And he says this. He reckons the vast majority of times that Christians like us are praying for deliverance, listen everybody, there's no demon there at all. Okay? Some estimations say that maybe 75% of the prayer and the energy that Christians and prayer meetings and prayer groups expel are actually not focused in the right area. Now I tell you what folks, I don't want that. I'm very interested in this topic. And I don't intend to waste my energy and waste my time, and I'm sure you don't either. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I just want to look at how, for, if you like, today will be an example of how we can get this so wrong. I want to look at particularly at the mind and how your mind may be a bigger blockage. Your thinking, the way you think, may be a greater blockage, in fact, I believe it is, to you than you currently believe. Who's Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister was the first person to ever run the four-minute mile. Can't remember what year that was. But the year after him, I think there was three. And the year after that, it was something like 20. And then within five years, if I'm correct, I have, I'm not far wrong, I think it was something like 285. So tell me, friends, what was broken? The four-minute mile? Was there something physical broken? No. What did Roger Bannister break? What did Roger Bannister break? He broke a mental block. That's what he did. He was the first person to actually really believe that he could run that four-minute mile. The first thing he broke was not the physical barrier. The first thing he broke was the mental barrier which led him on then to actually fulfill that physically. I want you to see that because I want you to understand just maybe 
how big a blockage your mentality or your belief system is when we don't know it. The Bible says this, and we quote it all the time, as a man thinketh, so is he. As you think, so are you. Now, there has been a plethora of teachings, an abundance of teachings on this topic, friends, especially in the last few decades. But I warn you, don't, don't relax because you have heard teaching on the mind. You can't relax until you're seeing change. You can't relax or let go of this topic until the actual fruit is proving itself in your life because it means we actually have not broken, we haven't grasped it, we haven't believed where the true front of our warfare actually exists. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, and this is a great scripture, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says this, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, one of the best pieces of Scripture, this Romans 12 verse 1, Paul's conclusion of everything that the gospel is and everything that the gospel salvation can be to us. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? The renewing of your mind. And I know I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, folks, because I need to see it in my life. Paul takes 12 chapters to carry us through the origin of the gospel, salvation, and the way it came to us. And if you could hear him, I think he would probably be shouting. He says, therefore, it's his conclusion. That's why he uses the word therefore. He says, therefore, do you get it? Do you understand that the actual transformation begins in the with the renewal of your mind. Now, my point, why are we talking about this when we're talking about deliverance? Because everybody listen carefully. He doesn't start, he doesn't say, therefore, the transformation begins when you drive out demons. He's bringing us to a starting place. All of us, there's no exceptions. He's bringing us to what I believe is a necessary beginning. And without that proper beginning, we run into many difficulties and false fights, wrong, you know, wasted energy for many years. So I want to bring you back this morning to your mentality. I want to ask you to please address your thinking and do so, you know, as honestly as you can. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Look at this. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And he answering said, this is Jesus, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with what? All your mind. Now, I, I guess every one of us can know how to love the Lord with all our heart. Not a problem with that. With all our soul, we understand it. With all our strength, we get it. But the problem is the mind bit. I actually don't think we do get it as easily as we may presume. 
And I want to, you know, reinforce in my own life and in your life before we continue with this series, just how important this factor is in your spiritual warfare, if you like. I've given you a list there, did, did you know your mind affects, a list of, to be honest, what is absolutely shocking to me. Your, I mean, your, your mentality affects, number one, your health. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 20 who says, a merry heart is like good medicine. I love that. Do you know, my wife here is probably one of the happiest people I have ever met in my entire life. And why wouldn't she be? She's married to me. I mean, come on, right? Very little gets her upset. Very little, very rarely is she anxious or perturbed. But I remember probably about two, three years after we were married, one day on the bottom, just above her ankle, I noticed this big red rash. And I said, what's that there? And she said, oh, it's nothing. And what is that? We need to get that checked up. What is it? I'm going to get some cream or something. But, oh, it's nothing, she said. And that was okay. I just, a few days later, and like, it was gone. And I never thought anything of it until, and at that time, we were having trouble with James at home. There was problems there. And a few years later, I remember we were going through a difficult time. Guess what? Big red rash. And I, I thought, I know what that is. Funny how anxieties and stresses actually come out in ways that maybe we don't expect. They can come out in anger. They can come out in all. It's coming from your mind, by the way. It's your mentality. And, and the way, and of course, it has a physical effect. It's called, they're, they're called psychosomatic illnesses. That when there's stress in your life, and they estimate that 50% of illnesses are in some way stress-related, then we need to get a grip of our mind, right? Paul just said, the spiritual mind is peace. Peace of mind. But when you don't have a spiritual mind, if you have a carnal mind, then you're not going to be able to have peace. And you'll actually have the potential of anxiety. I think, I can't remember what the statistics are, but the vast majority of drugs that are currently prescribed in the world are mood-altering drugs, drugs that help people control their anxieties and their stresses and their strains. Well, what's the cure, folks? The cure is having a spiritual mind. The cure is actually a mental thing, not in totality, but the vast chunk of it. I believe if we change our minds, a merry heart is like good medicine. Now, that's a very good place to start, and it just shows how serious my mentality is. The second thing there, your confidence is also severely affected by your mentality. Do you know, it, it's as simple as this. When the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is, do you know what that means? You will never surpass what you think of yourself. That's what it means, putting it in another way. You're trapped, you're limited by your own expectations. As a, as a man believes, so shall he receive. Or so, and the Bible puts this in many different ways. And so, you see, you, you can end up trying to drive out demons, if you like, 
on, on things like health, when actually the problem is my anxious mind. You understand? We can say that some demons about confidence or lack of confidence or fears, but actually confidence comes largely out of, it's created, you know, the bulk of it is created by other people. People, when you grow up, the way your parents speak to you, the way you're spoken to, the encouragement you get, and if you get lots of encouragement, you can see kids when they're young and they have good parents, you can see them grow up and flourish, right? But equally, you will see kids who maybe parents are not quite as good, not quite as experienced, and you can see them suffer with confidence. Now, I came from a big family. I've told you many times, my parents were great, but there was nine kids in our house. <laughs> I tell you, folks, it's kind of hard to encourage. You can encourage two or three kids, <laughs> maybe four or five. Have a go at nine. You kind of run out of encouragement. And by the time my parents got to me, and this is not a criticism of them, they were fantastic, but my parents did not have time with nine kids running around the house. I actually got very little encouragement as a child. I really didn't get that. But the older members of the family, when Mary was born, for instance, she was one, well, she's off to Oxford, and she, got a, she won a scholarship, sat by 500 people because there was an outpouring of my parents of encouragement and confidence, and she just burst. But by the time they got to me, I failed everything, right? Less, less intelligent? Absolutely not. No, not less intelligent. But I had much less confidence. I didn't believe in myself. So what happened to me then? I got saved. That's what happened to me. And when I got saved, I had a carnal, very carnal mind on this topic. And I took myself away for a long time, for about one month every year, for five years, on my own, all on my own, in holiday centers, Christian holiday camps, on a mountainside, sometimes in a tent. And in that time, I knew I couldn't function, but I knew I was called. And so here you have this contradiction. But I knew where the answer was. I have a new father. I have a new word. And I need to start believing and confessing. And some of you, no matter how many times I say it to you, you still won't listen to me. I need to say it out loud. Out loud. I need to pray. And I would pray and prophesy over myself. You're a mighty man of God! And my tongue will be loosened. I will not be inhibited. I will not be put down. God is my Father. I can do all things. And you need to kind of be away on a mountain before you start doing that, if you know what I mean. But I will change my mind. And Romans 12, for the first three or four years, listen to me, please listen. For the first three or four years of my Christian life, that verse was just about the only verse before me every day. I will be transformed, not by driving out demons, but by the renewing of my mind. And slowly, I started to change. I started to become the person that God had intended me to be. You see, folks, I'll conclude by the end of the day this point. But just because you're born again in here, in my spirit, that's just the beginning, right? 
I've got a brain up here. I've got a mind up here. And this thing will become a huge blockage to me, as Paul says. In fact, I would put it to you that Paul tells me to, once I'm born again, go straight and start here. He says, therefore, right? Now you're going to, you need to understand that you're going to be, go through these changes by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your thinking, and then you can actually minister effectively. So your health can be affected profoundly by your thinking, your mentality. Your confidence can be affected. Your conduct will be affected. That's in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. For a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree, ah, King James tongue ties me, bringeth forth good fruit. Basically what Jesus is saying there is that it's what's inside a person that's going to come out, right? That's what he's saying. And if my mind has not been renewed, then I'm wasting my time in trying to change things externally. That's, that's the point of that scripture, if you like. You know, I think God would, I know that God would want to bless you. I'm sure you agree, more than you're currently blessed. Amen? Oh, I think so. I think, Jeanette, we haven't even scratched the surface of what God would do if only I would line up my conduct, my thinking can control that. My thinking can inhibit that. When we were leaving Ireland once, I had a pretty new car, but I didn't want to bring it to the UK. And I decided I was just going to give it to someone. And we prayed about it, and I thought, oh, I know. I'll give it to this particular family, you know. But when, as soon as I thought that, a kind of little check came in my spirit pause. So I didn't do anything about it. Oh, pause. Okay. And I just waited, and I didn't do anything. But the very same day, I was picking my son up in town in Dublin, and one of the members, one of the older members of that family was actually with him. And they were all had their bags and sports bags and stuff, and, and they both had ice creams. And this is a pretty new car, pretty clean and nice cloth seats inside. And my son disposed of his ice cream or whatever before getting in the car. But the member of this family <laughs> had their ice cream, and they, could, they had a backpack, and they couldn't get in there, and they had a choice to make in about two seconds. What do I do with the ice cream? They stuck it in the seat! They stuck it in my seat! <laughs> stuck it in the seat, and then got in the car, put the bag down, and rubbed it. Sorry. I thought, man, is that your conduct? How can I bless that? Do you understand? And then I understood the little hesitation in my spirit that God was saying, Do you know what? Your heart is right to bless. Don't you think I would like to bless? But this family are not actually ready in conduct to receive that blessing. And that was a real lesson to me that day. Remember I told you about the family, and this is Alan Hewitt, famous pastor in Newport, where... He was, he was dealing with a family that were absolutely filthy. They needed a cleaning team, right? It was a terrible house. Newspapers on the window. It was disgraceful. And he tried to help them, but they would not tidy that house. And the woman's mother was the opposite. She was a clean freak, you know. And the woman died, and she left her impeccable house to that family. 
And the pastor saw his moment and he said, you know, now you're going to move. It's all, you're going to get a fresh start. You're going to move into this new house. And they said, yes, 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 we'll do everything. And they moved in. You know what happens next, don't you? <laughs> and the pastor goes and visits them like a few months later. What have you got? Chicken bones, McDonald's, you, all over the place. And there's a problem here, folks, you see, because there's a, there's a mentality. There's a mentality that did not change, and there's a mentality that is going to not be blessed, not be capable, if you like, of being blessed. Listen carefully to me. The mother may well have left that house to that family. I don't know if God would have. The mother may have. Fine. And human beings are very kind, and praise God for it. But I'm not so sure that God would have done the same type of wasted blessing, if you understand me. So getting a grip of my mind, I think a lot of Christians, and certainly me, I can spend my energy and my prayer trying to control my actions. But that's not what Scripture teaches. It's thoughts. Because if you don't control your thoughts, you'll never control your actions. And that's what happened Eve, if you remember. It went like this. Eve had a thought which created in her a desire which produced in her an action. It wasn't action first. And if you sit here this morning and you think, why have I been praying for 10 years, 20 years, and seen so little change in my life or in my conduct or in my behavior? I would ask you, what are you praying about? Are you praying about your actions? Well, that's probably the wrong place to start. The Bible says that it's actually a mentality problem, really, at least in the beginning of it, that I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Okay? Next one, sexual behavior. That's in Romans. This is fascinating Scripture here. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 you think the mind doesn't have anything to do with your sexual behavior? Look at this. Romans 1.28. Furthermore, just as they did not... What? Just as they did not... What does it say? Think. Sorry. It says think. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind mind. And here's people who their mentality, their thinking, they do not think it worthy to honor God. And what's the judgment? Both the sin and the judgment were thinking. Because they did not think of God before sexual deviance or misappropriate behavior, whatever you want to call it, in this case it's severe, the sin was their thinking and the judgment was that he gave them over to a depraved mentality, a depraved mind. Very interesting scripture. The next one, finances. Well, I mean, you, we, we, we will cover this in weeks to come. But my mentality has a lot to, it's tied up, whether I like it or not, inextricably linked with my finances. You know, we live in a gambling society, and I warn you folks, uh, since we're doing the topic of deliverance and witchcraft and all that, gambling is witchcraft. 
Gambling is witchcraft. That's what it is. What, what, what is the definition of witchcraft? Trying to control a person or a circumstance in any way other than the Holy Spirit. So what is gambling? Trying to deal with money without the Holy Spirit. You understand? It's exactly what it is. So don't dabble in gambling. We live in a society that's pumped full of gambling. It's not the right road. It's the wrong mentality. Amen. I think as I researched some of these things, the Canadian statistics were absolutely astonishing. 90%, that's their statistics. They estimate that 90% of the lottery winners in Canada have nothing 20 years later. That's incredible. But it's understandable because even though they had the money of a millionaire, they didn't have the mind or the mentality of a millionaire. And so it was of no use. That's a wasted blessing. It's another, you know, stupid road that they've taken. So these things all, whether we like it or not, your finances are heavily affected by your mentality. And lastly, under that section there, my achievements, what I do, how I, you know, proceed in life to do all that God has enabled me to do. It's affecting my mentality. I repeat, we will not surpass our own real expectations of ourselves. Okay? The, the, the carnal mind is at war with the spiritual mind inside me. God says I can, and at the same time, my flesh, which I need to war against, right? Not the, you know, potentially the devil as well, I know, but my flesh I need to war, says I can't. And the, the wonderful thing about us when we're born again is that your, your strength is in your focus. You will be defeated by multiple focus, or you will succeed by being determined to focus and achieve the will of God for you. By believing His Word to you, that takes focus. It takes determined focus. We are powerful creatures as believers, powerful, awesome creations that God has made here. But that power, that ability to achieve, if you like, it's often confused. Do you know every person in this room can control a lion? You know that? Every person. Do you know what you need? That's all you need. Very simple. And the mightiest beast can be just tamed nice and... Why? Because a lion... You ever see a lion tamer? All they have is they have a whip and a chair. It's not a joke. It's reality. Because Jesus is the lion of Judah. Focus! Focus! He chose that beast. Focus! Totally singular. Set his forehead like flint. Not double-minded. You understand? Focused like a lion. A lion has a strength and a weakness. The strength is this. When it focuses, man, it's dangerous. But when you put... It can only focus on one thing. That's the problem with a lion. And so when you put a chair up, <laughs> there's four legs, and the lion cannot decide what to do. And Clarence, you see, that's why they call it Clarence, because the eyes start spinning, and the lion just becomes disabled and cannot fulfill 
or be what it's made to be. What an example of Christians who are double-minded or allow or try to live within the carnal mind and the spiritual mind because it simply does not work. It will not work. You remember, the, 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 <laughs> it's a funny story, the pastor in New York was walking past the, the tattoo shop and it had the tattoo in the window, the born to lose. Remember that? Tattoo said, born to lose. And pastor was fascinated and goes into the shop. He couldn't resist it, goes in and says, excuse me, does anybody ever have born to lose tattooed on their arm? And the little Chinese guy sitting there. And he said, oh yes, it's very popular, very popular. Lots of people like born to lose. And he said, okay, thank you very much. And he went to leave. But the wise old man said, sir, you need to understand something. Before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. The person already thinks. They're already a loser if they're going to have born to lose. It's their mentality. That's where it's coming from. And we are not exceptions to this. And I ask you, I don't mean to hurt anybody or upset anybody, but I, because I know how painful these things can be, but I ask you to look back on your childhood and see what kind of mentality you were raised with, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You could think about your gene pool because these are the things that make us up. You get some genes from your mom, right? Some genes from your dad. My mother was a pessimist. My father was an optimist. And so I'm a realist. I got a little bit of both in there. I mean, that's absolutely true. Okay? So that is an okay outcome. But if you had a mother who was a pessimist <laughs> and a father who was a pessimist, <laughs> you may be in trouble here. You understand? So w- w- whether we like it or not, and this is what has absolutely and completely categorically changed my life. I got saved. And the mentality that I left my home with really was not good. It was not good. And I thank God I understood because of that verse in Romans, I need to completely change my mind. I need to, like, it's almost like brainwashing. I need to change everything that has happened. No criticism on my family. I do not blame them. It's not their problem. It's my problem. I need to, I have everything I need, and I will become what God wants me to be. And you know, I I can't remember when John, we used to produce cassette teaching tapes, you know, and one of my brothers was not saved, And he got one of our teaching tapes from the church, and I remember getting a phone call out of the blue from him. And you know what he said to me? He said this, when I heard that tape, I had this one thought. That's not him. (laughs) That's not him. That's not Michael. That's not my brother. Is he right or is he wrong? (laughs) He's right. He's right. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new creation. And everything that you remember, John, is actually dead and gone. And there is all of this is available to me. How crazy am I if I do not take hold of it? Now, I I counsel you this, folks, and I warn you. Remember, there are things in the Bible, when you come to the promises of God, there are things that God will do, like healing He may just break through for you. There are things that God will do. 
but there are things that only you can do. Which is the renewal of the mind? Which side? It's not God. The renewal of your mind is your responsibility. It, it, God gives you His Word, and you use that as a facility to you to, 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 to renew your mind. But this is your responsibility. It is a responsibility that I took very seriously, and to this day, I, I thank God for it. A lot more work to do. Amen. Did you say amen there, Jeanette? Yeah? Okay. A lot more work to do. But you, you, you can begin, like Paul says in Romans 12, begin in this place and you will see the difference being created as you work with God through His Word. See, it's a very interesting scripture that Jesus in Luke's gospel there, where He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And in, in, in church life, over the years, you find many people, you know, that you can work with and many people that you can't work with. And I was reflecting over the years uh, about, I mean, for example, I had one worship leader in one church many years ago, and it was a lady. My, oh my, she loved the Lord with all her heart. But she couldn't work with anybody. <laughs> She would get up on the platform and she genuinely, no problem, she loved the Lord with all her heart. And the anointing would flow and it would be great. But as soon as she stepped down into the world, she couldn't work with other Christians, couldn't just get on with people. So what's happening here? She loves the Lord with all her heart, but she's got a problem with her mind. Got a problem with her mentality. Because, the, and I remember another guy actually on a leadership team where, where there was about six or seven leaders, and they all loved the Lord. But there was one person on the team who constantly disagreed with everybody else. And I remember being in that situation where a suggestion would be made let's have an evangelistic crusade. And everybody would go out of seven leaders, six hands would go up, amen. And one hand would say, I don't think we can afford it. I don't think we can do it. I don't think it's possible. Does that person love the Lord? Yes. Absolutely love the Lord. But the mind is not renewed. And so, and, and in fact it says, and therefore cannot get on flow with God. Okay? So, you know, as we proceed as a church, in terms of leaders, and we're just in the process of restructuring our leadership. Everybody listen very carefully. We know you love the Lord. Praise God for it. But that's not the only criteria. It's not the only criteria. You must also have a renewed mind. It's just simply not that simple. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. And it means anything within me that doesn't tally up, line up with God and with His Word and what it says, I have the responsibility to change that, to alter that, so that I can actually flow in a spiritual mind. Are you with me? Are you with me? I hope that helps some of you because you can, once again, you can be fighting on the wrong front. Why do I crash with people all the time? Why do I love the Lord? I love God. But why is it that I'm always 
bumping in in my relationships. Well, this can be one of the reasons. So how are we going to solve it then? That's all the negative side. That's the problematic side, or at least an analysis of the, 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 the control and power our mind has over us. Well, thank God the solution is not difficult. And I would put as top of the list for the solution for a, a change in my mentality is time in the presence of God. Sounds simple, but it is simple, I guess. Were you there last Sunday night in the Revive meeting? Who was there? Would you give that? If I, if I asked you for marks out of 10, how many would you give that meeting? 20. 10. Whew. It was just absolutely, I think it's the best night of worship and presence of God for a long time. Absolutely awesome. Do you know what, folks? Aren't you changed? Isn't that what changes? Isn't that those moments of intimacy? You know, they're just fantastic. And I warn those of you, because we have many street preachers and many different worship team members here, let, let, let me just, please listen, okay? The anointing, remember? The anointing and the presence of God are two different things. Kay, fantastic worship this morning. And Kay, you got up there, and it was awesome. But you stepped down, I warn you, you stepped down, not one jot changed. Okay? Potentially. Because you have an anointing. But the anointing remains within you. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. It's not the anointing so much that changes me. What is it? The presence of God. It's the presence of God. And those of you who were there last Sunday night, or you have been in meetings, friends, all of us have, where the presence of God is so strong. And at that time, you make commitments, right? <laughs> you, 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 you renew your relationship with God. Things are changing. Your mind is changing. My point is, those of you who minister, when you're ministering, that, men that mentality stuff's not going on. You're in task. You're in function. And it's a, it's, a, it's a great area of danger for people like me or some of you coming into ministry. It's a great area of danger that you think because you experience what it is to be anointed that you think, oh, I'm changing. No, sir. You're on the wrong road there. That's, that, that's, a, that's a mistake. It's a serious mistake. You actually, do you know what you need to do, Kay? Come down out of here and go in a room on your own and get on your knees and ask God, to graciously give him, give you his presence. And that's why it's our practice, as I've shared with you before. It's my practice on Sunday evenings, as often as I can. When I get home, what do I do? I walk. It's one of the only, only times I ever leave Jeanette alone. And I say, you stay there, and I'm going out, because I have been under the anointing. And I need to get back to my Father and his presence because that's the only thing that's actually ever going to change me. You understand me, folks? Because I want to see many ministers rise up here, but I don't want you to get the wrong idea because you'll end up out of character, a bit like we said last week. If all you ever do is anointing, you'll end up out of character, and the Spirit of Christ is not there somehow. You need the presence of God to actually change you. That's the only... In His presence, I am changed. Feed your mind on everything good from Scripture, etc., etc. I guess that goes without saying. 
but um, uh, perhaps it doesn't. On the back of your notes there, I've given you a, a list of everything that God says we are and can be if we will but cooperate with Him. And I, a very simple message this morning, same as last week, nothing complicated, but that doesn't mean it's not important. And I, with all my heart, I believe that you, like me, need to fight on the right front. We did actually more clearing out in our house again this week, and it, 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 I love to clear, <laughs> I love to throw stuff out. Um, it was very important. Remember I told you, last major clean-out we did, I, I, I took Jeanette into my office. Remember what I said to her? I said, look, everything in here concerns the future, and nothing concerns the past. I threw it all out, <laughs> right? And you know, see your mind. In your mind, there's a whole collection of memories, attitudes, mentalities, some from the past and some that God today would like to give you concerning your future. Now, there's a problem here, folks. Mark my words. If you do not clear out the old, the new doesn't function. In the book of James, it says this, a double-minded man will receive nothing. Do you know what that is? That's someone who wants to bring in the new, but doesn't go through the pain and the discipline of putting out the old. And like it or not, we all have mentalities, we all have mindsets that we must confront and deal with and make room, as it were, for the new. One of the most painful things I had to do when we, you know, progressively have cleared out, but one of the most painful things I had to do was I had 26 handwritten volumes that I'd done of personal study. You know, but as you get older and you continue to study, you change. I mean, think what you believed 15 years ago. Think, you know, understand? Your belief system matures and it grows. And I remember looking at that stuff, and I did not want to let it go. I did not want to throw, but it was symbolic. And I took everything that I had believed, if you like, not everything, you understand. And I took it to Dawes home, skip, <laughs> and I threw it in there. And it was not easy. There was a lot of stuff in there on healing. But some of that was not strong enough, not clear enough. And I wanted to make room for your word, Lord. I want to change my mentality and be more effective. And I invite you to do the same thing today. Look at this list. What God says you are. If I gave you a pen and a piece of paper and I put you in an empty room and I said to you, here you are, write down here who you are. Write down what you are. Some people, no, I'm okay. I'm a sinner. I'm this. I'm that. Mentality. Mentality. Self-perception. And you never get beyond your self-perception. And that's why these statements of God to you, where He is defining you, He's actually creating us, 
in an ongoing way. He says that you are the, say it with me, salt of the earth. He says that you are the, you are a, and a, you are the, you are a, we are, forgive the spelling, it didn't get to Leanne before it got to the page, we are heirs, <laughs> we are saints, <laughs> we are God's workmanship, we are citizens of heaven, we are made righteous in Christ, we are hidden in Christ, and these, need, these and a thousand more need to be our declaration, do you understand me, this is a good fight, this is a good fight, not talking about demons here by the way folks, we're talking about a mentality change, talking about a mind change, which Paul says is really, in my opinion, the place I should start that equips me for ministry, gives me a foundation. And then look at the other list, again, excellent, about things that we can say that, that your carnal mind may say that you need to overcome. If I could just have the worship team back, actually. Look at this list. Why should I say that I can't when God says that I can? Why should I lack when God says He will supply all my needs? Why should I fear when God says He did not give me a spirit of fear, but He gave me a sound mind? Amen? Why should I feel weak when God says He is my strength? Why should I allow the devil any victory in my life when God says he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I tolerate defeat when God says he will always lead me in triumph? Why should I worry? And this was a huge issue for me. For many, I was a real worrier, and I'm not now. Thank God for that. Why should I worry when God says, cast all your cares upon him? Why should I feel alone when God says he will never leave me and never forsake me? Now, folks, I want to bring you to a very practical place in myself this morning of looking at my mentality and look in the mirror, if you like. The book of James says that this is my mirror. And I want you to see the things that just a few things that God says you are. And I want you to search out your own mentality and do what I did by going to the skip and throwing out the stuff that you know is not good. When you're the youngest child, as I am, in a family of nine, you get told to shut up a lot. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm I love you, brothers and sisters. This is not a criticism. I, I love them dearly. They're fantastic now. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not kidding, folks. When I grew up, the two most common words that I heard were not God loves you, not God. What were they? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up in every possible way that shut up could be said. And one day, I, you know, I, like some of you, do you know what I did? I put my defenses up. I put a shield up. I'm not going to let 
the world destroy me? And as a child, I definitely, definitely did that. I defended myself. And in some ways, my mother often said, why don't you come and play with the rest of the family? But I was quite happy, but also somewhat isolated, certainly through my middle childhood years. But you know what the problem is with that, guys? See, when you put that defense up, guess what else can't get in? The Word of God. That's what can't get in. I put my shield, and all of a sudden, you know, nothing bad I want to keep out. But very often, it's not just the bad I keep out, it's the good as well. And one day, one of my brothers, John, thank God he's born again now. I, I will never forget it. But he stopped me. He just, I remember he was running or doing something, and he just stopped me dead. And he put his finger in my chest. And he said this to me. You are going to do something really good in your life. I remember, I, probably about nine or ten, and he ran off. He can't remember it. Guess who remembers it? I remember it. I remember it. It was one of the first ever encouraging, positive directives, because he's got great faith, actually, John. He was speaking in, in faith, and he spoke into me. You! And I remember, even as a child, when John ran away, I, you know, these are my words now. I'm saying, I, do you know what? I'll receive that. I will receive that one. And I, I know we come from, many of us, difficult backgrounds. But see these folks, no matter what your background may be, would you just lower those defenses a moment? And would you let the power of the Word of God get into you and change you and make you and continue to create you into what His dream is for your life? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a friend of God. Just bow your heads one moment. I want to give you a moment to, to make, as it were, your own personal inventory. You know, very, we cannot control the things that happen to us in this life. That's life. You may think it's not fair, but we're all in the same boat. You didn't choose your family or your looks or whatever. can't control those things. But you can control your reaction to them and the way you deal with them. And God, I believe that you're setting us up this morning for a life of freedom. And you're teaching us what deliverance is. It's not the devil, the devil, the devil. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this morning we look at one thing, my mind, your mind. And I want you to purge and begin a clear out of everything you know that can damage or hamper your development as a believer into everything God wants you to be. Father God, Spirit of God, come. Come, Holy Ghost. Equip us. Help us unpack. Be created.